Welcome to Monday evening. How about that? Eight minutes after seven o'clock. We got about 45 minutes to get this sucker done. So let's get started here. Stan Fainzelberg, partner, Sam Firu to Mark and LLP, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in the country, is here and ready to serve. Got a bunch of questions on the way. We're going to clear out the old mailbox is what we're going to do. You want to contribute a couple of different ways you can do it. The phone line's already open, already set to go here live. So uh, feel free to call in with your questions. 416-870-6400. Talk about your workplace rights, your severance, vaccine mandates. Do you got to get vaccinated? Were you let go, warned, threatened, whatever? Bring it on. We've been talking about this for a long time, and it doesn't look like it's going to slow down anytime soon. 416-870-6400. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. That is the email address we will refer to tonight throughout the evening. But we always start with a couple things going on with you, pal. The week that was, uh, what do you say, Stan? Absolutely, John. Hello to everyone. And uh, I just wanted to start off today by talking about the most recent piece of legislation from our government, Bill 27, or people, uh, or what people probably more know it as, uh, the Working for Workers Act. And in reviewing this, John, honestly, I had to keep remind my, reminding myself that this was a progressive conservative piece of legislation because I, as I think the name kind of signifies this is straight out of the liberal NDP uh, playbook. But oh. th- that being said, there are a lot of really good provisions and nuts and bolts solutions in this piece of legislation that I was very surprised and happy with, frankly. And I think the one that most of us have heard about at this point is the disconnecting from workers uh, from work provision. Now, really, what this requires is just employers to have a written policy basically encouraging employees to disconnect from their jobs at the end of each day. And disconnection means, you know, emails, working, at home, everything. Uh, But I think really the idea here is to just create some more discussion around this and more education, because ultimately it's not like the policy itself will help disconnect workers, but enlightening people around this and understanding that this is a problem going on right now, uh, that certainly I think is a very good positive. Another piece of really positive um, piece of legislation in this bill is the ban on non-compete agreements in pretty much all employment agreements. Wow. Now, this is actually something that's just bringing, you know, reality into alignment with what the law pretty much already says. Uh, in, in most cases, outside of very niche and executive individuals, non-competes are almost always unenforceable, John. Mm -hmm. The unfortunate reality is that most people just don't know that. And when they sign a contract with a non-compete, they, and leave that company, they're always thinking about it. Even when, frankly, I've told people, you know, this non-compete is not really an issue. You don't have to worry about it. They're still worried and still thinking about its impact because beyond the legal effect and the fact that most of these non-competes really are unenforceable, uh, there's also the practical reality that by having it in a contract that you agreed to, you can be sued and put through months and years years of torturous litigation uh, because of this provision that pretty much every court will agree at the end of the day when you reach that uh, that milestone and get to court. That's probably an illegal provision. There was no case to begin with. That's little comfort two years later and a lot of dollars spent. Uh, and, and another reason why I think this is a really great provision that's just going to help workers in this province. 
again, another provision, again, that's really, I think, going to help the labor market is mm -hmm. a provision in this bill that says, removes Canadian experience requirements for many uh, professions and some of the most technical professions like engineering, uh, nursing, medical, law. Uh, most of the issues with this provision is that to actually get Canadian experience, you have to get the job to right. get to become the engineer. So most of these uh, requirements by these regulatory bodies were frankly nonsensical and a huge barrier to people entering the labor market, even though they had the skills when they came over into this country. They were trained as doctors or lawyers, what have you, in their own countries. Uh, they So they obviously have the technical skills, but they didn't necessarily have the Canadian experience requirement, which require, which to get the job, you need the Canadian experience requirement. That barrier is now being removed, and hopefully that will really spur a lot of these individuals to join back into the labor market with their with their technical skills. Um, one other requirement, that I, or one other aspect of this bill that I really want to talk about, and I think this is one that really shows a little bit of humanity and, frankly, something I think we all agree is necessary, is just the, the aspect that ta uh, provides or requires individuals or businesses where people are delivering to you to allow those people to use their washrooms. I wow, mean, something really? I think we can all agree is just very common sense. I don't think that anyone would, in theory, disagree with allowing workers to or delivery people to use their washrooms. But I, but obviously, there's probably an aspect here of nimbyism, uh, that not my backyard mentality, mm -hmm. where yes, I agree with this in theory, but you know, I don't necessarily want to be the one to have to clean up the bathroom after the fact. So an, a good piece of legislation that just cements, you know, what should be a, a right of people who deliver into these places, frankly. And, and just one final aspect of the bill to, that I wanted to discuss, Bill uh, John, was the changes to the WSIB program, specifically allowing WSIB to distribute surpluses in its insurance fund to businesses that meet certain criteria and you know haven't necessarily had that many claims or workplace injuries. Uh, WSIB has actually, similar to EI, has built up quite a significant surplus because a lot of payments have been put in, and WSIB is not particularly well known for paying out. They're they're actually a institution that's well known to fight claims very hard. So it's nice to see that some of the surplus will actually be used for real purposes, and if not necessarily to pay out to workers, distribute to businesses that could use the extra money, especially at this time. So a really great piece of legislation from my perspective, John, and really think the progressive conservative should. Uh, should be patted on the back for this. Again, 416-870-6400. you have any questions about that or any other topics when it pertains to stuff we talk about on the show, bring them on, stands here to answer them. Of all those uh, all those provisions uh, in that legislation <laughs> that you just announced, at that list, what do you think is going to get the phone ringing the most on your desk uh, at the firm? What do you think? Well, I think the, the, the disconnecting from work aspect, because it's just such a novel concept, John, and, and really we don't even have the nuts and bolts of the legislation to know how this is intended to work, I think there's going to be a, lot, a long period of education of people having a lot of questions, which we absolutely encourage because, you know, one, of, one aspect of a constructive dismissal or one particular path to a constructive dismissal is if you are being overworked, you're being overburdened with workloads that are just not reasonable and not what you agree 
need to do and certainly something that's not possible to handle in a 40-hour day it's it's you know it's one of the more difficult aspects of a constructive dismissal to pursue because it's always kind of difficult to to establish that a person's actually being overburdened and that they're in, you know putting in a 60 hour week or a 70 hour week when there's not you know when there isn't something like a access card or a swipe card to verify that but i think that this particular aspect of the legislation like i said is going to allow for these discussions to occur this education to occur and Ultimately, I think people will be asserting their rights more frequently in this particular aspect as well. You know, it'd be interesting to look back, you know, uh, with hindsight to how much of this legislation would even have been thought of, put on paper and put forth had it not been two years ago, a year and a half ago when this pandemic started. I mean, you can imagine how much of this wouldn't even be lost in the ether. There wouldn't even be a, a, a thing we, people were talking about until the job market and the way people work and the employment environment has changed so much in the last year and a half. It, I mean, it's very commonplace every day to read about four-day work weeks popping up in different countries, including mm -hmm. here, or at least the thought of it. And, you know, everything you just mentioned on that list, I couldn't see any of that coming to fruition a year and a half, two years ago. They would have said, why? What's the point? There's no reason for it. But now look at it, right? Yeah. I mean, the reality, I think, is that the, the pandemic changed labor markets significantly. I mean, you know, for the first time in a long time right now, we're seeing labor shortages and right. a little bit more power on the workers side of the negotiating table when it comes to wages. And I don't frankly think that would have been possible without the pandemic partially you know there's a lot of reasons for that and we can all discuss and try to figure out what's specifically led to these situations in the labor market but you're absolutely right i mean you know ultimately my perspective is that i don't really care how we got here but these are really important pieces of legislation that are just common sense frankly and i'm glad that they're finally being instituted yeah, got to agree. I mean, we all probably know somebody who's got a you know a, a degree in medicine or a PhD in engineering, and they're and they're tinting windows at a car dealership because they're, they're 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 you know they're not allowed to work the Canadian experience, which is just absolute BS. So thanks God that's changing as well. We need yeah. all the skilled people we can in this country for sure. We're gonna uh, we're gonna take a short break into a bunch of emails. You want to send one along? Help at employmentlawyer.ca. But uh, give us a call here live now. We got uh, tons of phone lines open. It is seven eighteen, so you got lots of time here on a Monday evening to chime in and ask your questions as well. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. We'll continue Monday night edition Employment Law Show, Global News Radio. Welcome back to the Employment Law Show on Global News Radio. And welcome back indeed. It is 721. Good to have you along here on a Monday night, 721, the uh, number 416-870-6400. That is to call in and ask your questions. Stan Fanselberg Partners, Sam Firu, Tim Markin, LLP, the most positively reviewed Employment law firm in the country helping tens of thousands of people get the compensation they deserve. You better make that phone call, man, anytime. And at least talk to Stan, have a chat, see where you stand. It's one 855 821 But as mentioned, to talk to us here and ask your questions live for the remainder of the show, 416-870-6400. Want to get to our first email for the night. Uh, that is help at employmentlawyer.ca. Uh, Earl, Big Earl says, uh, my employer wants to take away my bonus this year, saying that the company cannot afford it. Is the employer allowed to do this? 
Well, it really kind of depends on what the nature of your bonus is, because there's kind of two ways to look at this. There's either what bonuses that are truly discretionary. Uh, the classic example being something like a Christmas bonus, where you know at at around Christmas time you get a bonus. It's yes never a set amount, never any rhyme or reason to that amount, mm -hmm. uh, just some some thank you bonus for the efforts for the year. But again, something that's really discretionary and at the, at the sole discretion of the employer in that instance. In that case, you know, it's very likely that the employer can take it away because it was never really incorporated into the year compensation in your employment agreement in the first place. Now, if the bonus is actually something that's you know based on specific metrics, company metrics, personal metrics, if it's something that's integral, uh, if it's something that you've received every year and you ex and it's part of the employment contract, you know it's it's expected essentially at this point, mm -hmm. then then the answer is very likely they cannot take that away. That is now a part and has formed part of your compensation and. Assuming the reduction is significant enough, taking it away can amount to a constructive dismissal. Earl, the phone number, if you want to follow up with Stan, do so. one 821 Appreciate you emailing in, Earl. That's uh, fantastic. Again, 416-870-6400. Jim, thank you for uh, for standing by on the phone. How are you tonight? Not bad. How are you guys doing? Beauty. What's uh, What's on your mind? Well, like I said, you're a screener there. It's more like a, I look at it as a human rights violation. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my coworkers that I work, that I used to work with, uh, just, I assumed he was having a bad day, just started yelling at me because saying that I wasn't pulling up my weight. There is a three man crew. And mm -hmm. I went to the supervisor. I let him know about it. And I said, I don't know what his problem is. And then it happened again the following week, and I went into the plant manager's office. I let them know. I said, I want a meeting. I want to find out what's the problem and, like, get it out on the table, find out. They did nothing about it. Mm -hmm. So, I, I like, I, I don't know. So is that where things stand now that uh, he's, you mentioned he was your former uh, colleague. Is he, was he still working there with you? Well, I, I asked the supervisor to take me off that particular machine. Okay. So and, uh, and they've done that? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, that is, it sounds like in a way they have done something about it and accommodated you uh, in terms of, you know, the, the, the it's hard to say because you didn't mention the human rights aspect necessarily that I can tell. From, uh, from what you were saying, I mean, it sounds like there was obviously some interpersonal issues between you and your colleague, and they've kind of separated you. It's nice. I mean, I think your employer is kind of taking the correct action in, in addressing the problem, not necessarily perhaps in the way that you want it to be addressed, but if you're no longer working with him, you know, I'm hoping that would solve the issue that you're having with him as well. Okay. Yeah, but I know we never had an issue before. I don't. At the first instance, I figured, okay, maybe he's having a bad day or whatever. But I still let the supervisor know about it. And this this went on. Like I worked with this person, walking on eggshells, so to speak, for like two months before I just thought, you know what, I can't do this anymore. And that's when I asked to be taken off the machine. Like, shouldn't right. it be a, a management's obligation to look into something like this? 
even when I when I said to them, I want a meeting, I want to get it out on the table, find out what the problem is, because I'm doing my job. And well, there, I, the management's obligation is to ensure that there's a harassment-free work environment, and obviously, uh, if that is something that was going on, they should be addressing it, absolutely. Um, right. be, but be, in terms of addressing it, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be addressed in the, the way that you're that you want, as long as they address their solution addresses the problem. Again, if the if the issue was that you were having interpersonal issues with a colleague and you're removed from that toxic work environment, uh, it sounds to me that that would solve the issue. Whether they took you know action swift enough or not, that like you know a lot of that will depend on how many times did you complain, who else complained, what was going on in the background that maybe you and I don't know about. Because oftentimes when it looks like they're doing nothing, you know there may actually be discussions going on in the background that you're just not privy to. It's really hard to say in a vacuum whether they've taken appropriate action. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. The way I look at it, they did nothing. Uh, and I figure it's their, their obligation to do something about something like this, whether it's workplace harassment or whatever. I was the one to ask to be taken off the machine. They They didn't come to me and say, well, how about if we take you off the machine and put you somewhere else? Well, so, you know, I often I find that what often happens is not, that because sorry, I was, was going to say that what it, I got to I got to sacrifice my job and be put in a different department. To me, that's not right. No, it, it definitely probably doesn't sound like the best way to handle it. But again, it's hard to say in a vacuum whether that's what necessarily happened. Uh, and the one issue that I do find often is that when employees you know, aren't, aren't necessarily protesting enough. Management doesn't take to tend, doesn't tend to take things as seriously because they think that, okay, you had one complaint and then another complaint a couple of months later. You know, if this is an ongoing issue, this is something that you should be protesting all the time, uh, repeatedly, you know, escalating it above HR if need be. You can certainly even go the Ministry of Labor route if your employer is doing nothing. But, you know, but beyond that, I mean, yes, you're you're right. They have to do something. It's it's all very much a question of you know what the actual co issue was, and you know did they take appropriate action that you maybe didn't see? Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for your answers. Thanks, Jim. Right. Keep us uh, keep us updated. Feel free to call us back if you if any things develop for sure. I mean, at, at what point, uh, Stan, if at all, do you step mm -hmm. in? Does the firm step in in, in that regard? Can they? Well, I mean, absolutely. We uh, we often write letters for clients to to step in when they usually where we kind of insert ourselves is where the client really wants to actually resolve the situation as opposed to go the constructive route. Um, you know, if they're looking to actually stay on at work, then we can push you know, write write the letter on their behalf and push the employer's buttons with the right information. You know, the right keywords and the right aspects of the law. Um, that's often where it's appropriate for us to actually write on behalf of the employer and try to safeguard them from whatever's going on. Makes total sense. Again, you want to call in like Jim, have your questions at least uh, answered and get to, get some bearing on everything. 416-870-6400. 416-870-6400. Going to move down to Bill. Uh, Bill writes in again, help at employmentlawyer.ca. That's the email address every time, anytime. 
Bill says, guys, my boss told me that things are slow and he might need to lay me off. I've not been laid off before, and I know this is how he'd like to get rid of people from the company. What can I do in this situation? So, Bill, uh, unless you have a contract in which the employer explicitly wrote into the contract and you agreed to it before starting to work there, you know, that the company has a right to lay you off then technically speaking, they actually don't have that authority to do that. Um, even though the Employment Standards Act does give businesses the right to lay people off in theory, they still have to incorporate those provisions into the specific employment relationship with you by way of a contract. And if they haven't done that and you haven't been laid off in the past and given them the authority essentially to do that, then you don't have to accept the layoff. And what you can do is treat that layoff as a constructive dismissal and go and fight for your severance. So you're saying that this uh, this option for an employer to lay somebody off is a creature of a contract from the outset. It has to be laid out in a contract with the employee before they can say, no, no, I can do that because we wrote it in, you signed it, we're good to go, right? Well, there, that's the explicit way to do it. Right. There is an implicit way that it can become incorporated into a a contract and the way that would happen essentially is if bill had been laid off in the past and and come back to work and therefore given the employer the inherent authority through his implicit actions that he agrees the company has the right to do that which is always on the show we say before we let that happen make that phone call and talk to you guys before it becomes uh you know uh, an, an, an unwritten part of your contract as you've you've done it before past history uh 416-870-6400 is the number lang is next says uh, hey stan uh love you doing the show question my boss is saying i have to take a vacation by the end of the year or, or uh, but i would prefer to carry over my vacation to next year or be paid out if it's uh, in uh for it instated instead i guess uh can my boss tell me when i have to take my vacation hmm. so unfortunately lang the the esa does actually give the company the authority to tell you when to take the vacation um and if your boss is telling you you have to take it by the end of the year even though you may prefer to carry it over even though you may prefer to have it paid out to you that's within the company's authority to make that decision and there's not much necessarily you can do, I'm sorry to say, Lang. Would it be a different story, Stan, if, say, Lang had said, yeah, but boss, here's mm-hmm. the problem, guy. I already bought airline tickets, and I've got, uh, you know, I had this 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 vacation put in a month ago. Everything was kosher. Now you're saying I can't take it, but I've already laid out some cash. What, does he have a different standing at that point? Yeah, I think there's certainly, you know, it would definitely be contextual that way. Mm-hmm. That there could be aspects of detrimental reliance there. You know, there could be aspects of a toxic environment there. If it's something that's already been approved, <clears throat> approved, then you know there's going to be the obvious question of what's changed. Why is the employer necessarily pulling back on this? I mean, are they even liable for the potential costs associated with mm-hmm. that change? Right. That's kind of what the detrimental reliance aspect would would ask uh, call into question. You know, even potentially, as I say, toxic toxic work environment environment aspects that can lead to a constructive dismissal here. So I definitely think it would be much different if, you know, if they're taking something away from you. But in Lang's situation where they're actually forcing you to do it, you know, the ESA says they have that authority, even though you may not like it, you know, there's not much you can do there. 
By the way, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, great website. It's uh, it's full of information and uh, some things you generally ask questions for when it comes to your employment law rights. Uh, they're going to be on there. It's uh, it fields a lot of questions and uh, and uh, you know alleviates a lot of curiosity as far as employment law is concerned. And there is also the severance pay calculator on there as well. You don't necessarily have to be let go. You're just uh, curious as to what you would be owed. If it ever came down the pike that, uh, you know, you're out of a job, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca is a good way to answer that. Of course, it's free. Of course, it's anonymous, so use that uh, whenever you like. But here and now, 416-870-6400, the number to call into the station and chat and talk. Uh, who's next? Jane is. Again, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Jane says, hi, guys. I confronted my manager uh, about a discrepancy in my pay, and they told me that I am wrong and don't know what I'm talking about. What can I do about this? Well, if if you feel very strongly that there is a discrepancy, and if their you know explanation doesn't make any sense, then there are is a branch through the Ministry of Labor that you can go to to file what's called a wage related dispute. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, you know what it would entail is filling out some forms, and then the, the Ministry of Labor would have an inspector assigned to you. They would actually be able to pull the the payroll records from the employer, uh, look at what you know whatever your story is and what aspects that you're saying they didn't pay you, and look at uh, the employer's story, look at the evidence, and then reach a decision. And you know that decision can obviously end up with you get getting the money that you deserve, as long as the payroll records and evidence support what you're saying. So this, I know, contrary to what we say all the time about not going to the Ministry of Labor for certain mm-hmm. employment matters, this is this is one of those times where that's the place you do want to go. They can handle this, right? Yeah, I mean, s- smaller aspects and things like that where you know, really I would say the ministry is is very useful tool if your mm-hmm. goal is to continue to work for your employer. If your goal is to leave your employer and get paid out of severance, the ministry is the worst possible avenue and venue for you. If your goal is to try to remedy whatever that's the situation that's going on, whether that's a wage dispute, whether that's interpersonal issues do, you know, between the colleagues that maybe HR is not handling particularly well, um, maybe that's health and safety aspects. The Ministry of Labor is fully equipped to, to deal with those smaller issues. And again, if your goal is to stay in the employment, in your employment, and just try to remedy whatever's going on. I, I think the Ministry of Labor is the proper venue in that circumstance. It's a good way to break it down, really. And uh, you know, it's, I've never heard that description before. So, I mean, that that right away tells you that if you're after severance, that's not the place to go because they're not the uh, they're not the people that can help. It's going to be you at the firm as well. By the way, that number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Sometimes, sometimes you don't want to come on air and talk about your. Uh, your issues, you just want to have a more private conversation with Stan. That is a number you can use to do that anytime and more than happy to uh, have a chat with you for sure. Uh, another email here, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Roman, Roman, you're up next. Says, guys, I'm about to start a job with a competitor of my old employer. My contract with the old employer had a non-compete clause that said I cannot work for a competitor in Ontario for two years after my termination. How worried should I be about this clause? Hmm. Uh, well, Roman, if you heard the top of the show, That's then right. uh, the answer is very is not very worried at all. Um, there's a piece of legislation that actually may make all of this a moot point. Now, you know, I will add the caveat that we don't specifically know what the ban on non-competes is going to look like in Bill 27. Uh, 
and it may not necessarily be retroactive. So you know, there's there may still be liability there for Roman, but even if that were the case, I mean, just based on the question and just hearing two years, John, that is in almost every situation I can think of, just far too long a period to kick somebody out of this the industry that they chose to work in. Uh, you know, outside of perhaps the most executive people in the, in a very large company, I can't possibly imagine that that would ever be enforceable. And I don't think Roman should really have to worry about it, even if the the Bill Twenty Seven and the ban on non competes altogether isn't retroactive and doesn't apply to Roman to begin with. That's the non competes. How about the non solicitation agreements? I mean, do they have to take a little more caution when you're thinking about one of those if it ever becomes? a uh, contentious issue with what could be your former employer or even for signing a uh, a new employment contract is the non-solicitation should that be taken with a little more of a a serious attitude yeah absolutely that aspect of uh, of a contract and if you see that in a contract that's something you should absolutely try to um, to scrutinize with a little bit more detail mm-hmm. non-solicits are are if properly drafted very much enforceable um, and courts do enforce them all the time. Uh, there, the same limitations that apply to non-competes do also apply to non-solicits. So the the limitations of how long does it apply for, what's the geographic area that we're discussing, or what are the businesses that we're discussing, and how broad in scope is that drafted. Um, but if it's properly tailored, you know, if it's directly tailored to you know businesses you've dealt with. Uh, in a specific geographic area that's that's very clearly reasonable and with a time period that's reasonable, then absolutely should pe- people should be concerned about that. Um, you, ca- you can absolutely be pursued for it and even end up in court and losing. Yeah. You have some time still to, uh, to call in here live and ask your questions. If something creeps up, 416-870-6400. Lily is our next email up. Thanks, by the way, everybody who's emailing in tonight and just leading up to the show tonight. I know we got a ton in the inbox. That's why we like to clean it out every every couple of weeks for sure. Lily uh, says, I'm a salary employee but regularly work 48 hours a week. My employer keeps telling me I am not entitled to any overtime, but I read that employees get overtime after 44 hours a week. Are salaried employees also entitled to overtime? Great question. It's a, it's a great question, one that I think we we get on this show all the time, and I certainly get all the time speaking to clients. And the reality is that you are absolutely entitled to overtime, whether you're a salary employee, whether you're an hourly employee, whether you're a commission-based employee. Uh, it doesn't matter how you get paid. It's about the hours you put in. Now, there are certain exceptions to overtime based on profession, uh, the largest ones being IT individuals and people who would be classified as managers. And that's why you know you often see uh, pretty much everybody being called a manager these days, John. Uh, but the reality is that if you're not a manager, if you're not an IT, and if you're not a firefighter or, or working on a farm, uh, you are more than likely are entitled to overtime above 44 hours a week. Or a pool cleaner, which is uh, which since the beginning of the show ten years ago always made me scratch my head. I, uh, you know, pool cleaners. I, I guess seasonally they don't they don't probably work enough to make up overtime. I, I guess. You know, I mean, there's not much pool cleaning going on now until uh, probably June. But but there you go, right? 
Who knows? Well, it's an injury. It's, it's it's a funny provision because it doesn't apply to any other seasonal work that I'm really aware of. You know, ski <laughs> instructors still can. So it, it, some pool cleaner must have really pissed somebody off one day. <laughs> I think it was ultimately what happened. But you know, maybe we'll, unfortunately, I don't think we'll ever know. Yeah, guy put too much chlorine in my pool. I'll get him. No overtime for you. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. Rick, thanks for taking the time. How are you? Good. Good evening. It's actually Frank. Hey Frank, sorry, I got Rick on my uh, call. Uh, yeah, I got Rick. I thought it could be yeah. me, but it's not. It's, it's, it, well, <laughs> no, okay. it is me, but you know, whatever. What's uh, what's going on, pal? Quick one here. So I was affected by COVID. Being in the travel industry, uh, I took mm-hmm. a new position with a new company, Temp Basis. Uh, am I entitled to my ten weeks of holidays, even though I declined their return job position? Am I entitled to pay ask for pay out of my ten weeks vacation time that I have? So you're talking about the statutory holidays that you missed while you were on layoff. Is that what you mean, Frank? No, no, my vacation pay, my actual vacation pay. So, so vacation. Holidays. I have five weeks of holidays from uh, 2000 uh, to 2020, and then uh, five weeks of last year. So I've accumulated uh, ten weeks of vacation time. I see. Well. I mean, if you've accrued it already, if you're saying, yes, I worked this time, I've accumulated it, then that's a ra- that's considered accrued wages. That's the same thing as if you worked yesterday, and you're absolutely entitled to be paid if you worked yesterday, you're, and you're also entitled for, uh, to be paid for that accrued vacation time. So even though I was on uh, uh, technically laid off due to COVID, okay. like we weren't working, and I have declined their return call from August, no, the situation would be slightly different than that. So if there was vacation time that you earned prior to being laid off, if that aspect of the vacation time, that is accrued vacation time that you are entitled right. to be paid out. Yes. What happens when you go on layoff in a very technical sense is that you are do accrue vacation time but you do not accrue vacation pay because what you're entitled to is you know four percent or six percent of whatever you earn and because you're earning zero four percent six percent is still zero so even though you get the the you get the time but there's no money that's associated with the time perfect and before i let you go quickly here even though i have not worked and i have declined the part-time offer to return back in august uh can I, uh, like, say, can I get a payout, or is it something where I am really basically out of luck right now? If I resign, yeah. If if they've already recalled you back to work and you're declining, I, I'm sorry to say it's probably unlikely. Uh, okay. the, the time to have done something would be while you were still laid off, while we could still claim constructive dismissal. The fact that they've recalled you now, it's really hard to argue you didn't accept the layoff. Uh, this whole time. So, unfortunately, I, I think that's an unlikely proposition. Rick, appreciate your time. Hope that helped. And we are out of it. Time, that is. So, I'll give you a number to uh, to reach uh, Stan and his team now that we are done for a Monday night. one 821 5900 That would be the number, the email address we've been referring to all evening. Is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And even before that phone call to Stan and the crew, you can go to simply pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Tons of information there, contact information, severance pay calculator, and so much more. So use that. And we will be back at it Wednesday night here, same time in the weekend shows as well. Don't go anywhere on point. Our good pal Alex Pearson coming right back on Global News Radio.